Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. How's it going, everybody? It's time for the Famous Dead People podcast, the only podcast that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Berenstein, and today on the show we have 20th century American actor Charles Bronson and 16th century Queen of England, and Boleyn. It was a fascinating talk. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we get to the show. Don't forget that you can always check out the freshest episodes every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Email us at famousdeadpeople at radiofreebrooklyn.org with any questions, concerns, or requests. Uh, buy my book, The Kelly and Conway Technique. If you are uh, enjoying the podcast, why don't you tell a friend? Rate the show, review the show, leave a comment, go to my website, jaredbarenstein.com. And uh, last and most importantly, mark your calendars for March 24th. We got the birthday show coming up, the Sporty 40, at the Magnet Theater, March 24th at 9 p.m. It's going to be uh, hooting the holler, free beer, and special guests, and stories, and bits, and sketches. So you're not going to want to miss this one. The Sporty 40 at the Magnet Theater, March 24th at 9 p.m. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Anne Boleyn and Charles Bronson only on Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. It's time. Famous Dead People. Time to start the show. Famous Dead People. People you know. Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. Famous stories stuck in the head. Famous My guests today on Famous Dead People are former 16th century Queen of England, a key figure in the start of the English Reformation, Anne Boleyn. How doodly doodly there. And 20th century American actor known for such works as the Death Wish series and the Magnificent Seven, Charles Bronson. Hello. Uh, Mr. Bronson, Ms. Boleyn, thank you so much for joining us here on Famous Dead People. Oh, it is my pleasure. It's really a pleasure. Uh, let's start off with you, Anne Boleyn, if okay. you don't mind. So as I mentioned in your intro, you were a key figure in the start of the English Reformation, which established the Church of England, so the King Henry VIII, could divorce his first wife and marry you. Yep, that's me. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of your life, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Henry. Like, mm. you know, obviously it's very cool to be the Queen of England. It's pretty cool. Did you have feelings for him or was this just a power move on your part? Were you were you just in a good position and you thought to yourself, I'm going to take advantage of the situation? Oh, for sure. Well, personally, I was thinking, ooh, I'm uh, some hot stuff, you know? <laughs> I'm Definitely. sorry. Hmm? Your first thought was, I'm pretty hot stuff? I'm pretty much, you know, daily affirmations. Oh, yeah. I'm That's my that. number one. You're just looking in the mirror and you're I'm like, like I'm hot stuff. Diggity dog. Who is this? Meow. That's me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's first things first. So taking that to the next level, I'm mm. like, well, how am I going to get everybody to see all of this? Mm, okay. Well, then I'm thinking, you got to be the queen. All right. Of a big place called England. Everybody is going to see how amazing you are. Mm-hmm, that's the amazing, right. The amazing you that you know yourself to be. Every day, look in the mirror, say, <laughs> good looking to me. If you become the queen of England, then everybody will get to see how amazing you are. Yeah, so you're following along pretty mm-hmm. well. Okay, but so there was no, there's no actual affection that you had for the king. It was really just a power move for you. Oh, well, he's a super hunk as well. <laughs> oh, he's a good looking guy? Yeah. Okay. So it was kind of a power couple kind of a thing. Gotcha. You're hot. I'm hot. Uh, Why don't we get together? One's a can, one's a Barbie, you know? <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. I see. Okay, so Henry, originally he was just trying to seduce you. 
and make you one of his mistresses. Mm. But you refuse and you insist on marriage instead. Um, but I think that must have been weird for you, right? Because your sister, Mary, your oldest sister, Mary, had already been one of his mistresses, right? Right. That was the weird part was mm-hmm. he was like, OK, I'm just going down these bowling girls. <laughs> And I was like, uh, uh, knocking them down like bowling pins. Okay, so yeah, you've heard of bowling? Uh, That was me. Oh, wait, that's where we get bowling from? Totally invented that. Interesting. I didn't know that. Thought we were going to get to that later, to be honest. (laughs) We can 100% get to that in a minute, but... uh... But yeah, so you were saying, uh, you know, the king, he's looking at you sisters. He's like, I'm just going to check all these off. Yeah, there's a little bowling bingo card, you know. (laughs) And I said, this is not a free space. Mm -mm. If you like it, you got to put the ring on it. Okay. So was there, how did your your older sister feel about this? Because, I mean, she's just a mistress. Right. She felt obviously less. (laughs) Pretty stupid. (laughs) Knowing that that was an option. So what do you mean? So, I mean, did you guys ever talk about it? Was this like, um, was this like a one-upsmanship sort of thing? Like, I'm going to show my sister, you know? Oh, for sure. She was like, okay, so you totally were his mistress too, right? And I was like, nah. Whoa. I have uh, really played a game of upsmanship, a little brinksmanship, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, uh, again, this is uh, worth, a, worth a nice diamond, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, to, uh, to hook up with the finger. king. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just, uh, I, I think that if I had been your sister, I would have been upset about that. I would have been upset that uh, I did not maybe take the same opportunity that you had taken mm-hmm. and just, like, held off, made him marry me instead of just, like, you know, giving, giving, him, the, giving him the free milk, as we say. For sure. When we, <laughs> when we get women to cows, it is absolutely a free milk festival if you're talking about Mary. Mm. But, uh, no, for me, uh, I was thinking, well, you know, I was obviously very generous with uh, all of my gifts that I got. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so now I get to marry a king. So, like, yeah, marry, you can have some dough or whatever. Mm-hmm. I got okay. so much now, it don't even matter. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah. I kind of paid for the milk in that case. I see. Well, you in that, I mean, in that analogy, I think you would be the cow that he bought as opposed mm-hmm. to the free milk that he got, right? Who then uh, uses that money for being bought to pay for the other cows, which were milked for free. Okay. So, um, wait, you, like, you were supporting your sister, like, after that? Like, oh, you were. Yeah. I mean, well, I, it's not like I'm, like, paying for everything, but she's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm stupid poor now. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, probably wicked knocked up on account of all this free milk I'm handing out. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, here you go. Again, I'm uh, the freaking freaking queen over here. Yeah, I can do what I want. Money doesn't even mean a thing. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you guys have a complicated relationship, but then in the end. <laughs> Sisters, am you, I right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. In the end, you, you looked after your family, and I think that's commendable. Yeah. Uh, let's get back over to uh, Charles Bronson for a moment. Sure. Do you mind if I hang up my vest? Oh, yeah, please do. It's, it is a lovely vest, by the way. Thank you. Uh, so you were uh, a very... Well, this is a nice hanger. Mm-hmm. This Thank... is real wood. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, we don't uh, we don't skimp here in the Radio Free Brooklyn studio. Uh, so you were I'm sorry. Jared, are you a queen to I'm, afford such a nice hanger? I am not a queen. No, this we we are, you know, we're flush with uh, hangers in 2019. That's you know? sweet radio yeah. cash. Well, you have expensive <laughs> taste, my queen. Uh, uh so Charles Bronson, you were often cast as sort of like tough guy characters, cops, gunfighters, vigilantes. Yeah, I'm a tough guy. Revenge plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you had an extremely prolific acting career that lasted for decades. And so 
going over your uh, IMDb, there's a couple of titles that I was surprised that there would be a role for a tough guy like yourself. And so I was wondering, I'd like to tell you a couple of Shoot. these titles. And maybe if you remember, you can tell us like what your role was and if they were maybe a departure for your tough guy persona or if somehow they managed to work the tough guy role into these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first one, movie I wanted to ask you about was The Marrying Kind. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, of course okay. I do. Marrying Kind, you know, back... You see, when you're a young actor starting out, you want to be pigeonholed. You, you don't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. And mm -hmm. my agent says, Charlie, look, you look like you want to kill somebody all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I do. Oh, I do. Oh. <laughs> one look for me and you're dead. All right. They said, look, I got this picture for you called the Marion kind. And you got to be sweet brother number three. And I said, OK, I'll do it. I'm. On set, I pull out my pistol, <laughs> and I point it straight at the director's head, and I said, give me one more line, so it's technically not an under five. Oh, wow. And that back in the day, that's how what you had to do to get parts. Yeah, it's important to hustle in whatever way you can. Yeah. Uh, and so you were, I'm sorry, you were, uh, what was it, uh, brother? Sweet brother number three. Sweet brother number three. Mm -hmm. And so you were... Uh, trying to to marry a young lady it was like a romantic role. It was uh, three brothers and three sisters try to persuade their siblings who are not the mm -hmm. marrying kind to become the marrying the kind. marrying kind. Gotcha. So you were pretty simple plot back then. Uh, you know what? That's all. That's all it took back in the day. That's mm -hmm. kind of like me. How I'm the marrying kind, and your sister Mary. And she's a sweet sister. <laughs> yeah. Number two though. <laughs> Because you're looking at number one, baby. Okay, so we also had a movie called The Clown. Do you remember mm -hmm. The Clown? Sure, I played the title role of The Clown. You were The Clown in yeah, The Clown. Yeah, I was The Clown. Again, they said, Charlie, you're not doing much for your image. It's not helping. You want to get cast in nice guy parts. You got to stop waving around this pistol. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I looked you... at my agent, and I pointed a pistol at him. <laughs> And I said, you get me this part of the clown. I can make all these kids laugh. Tell us about this movie, The Clown. Is this just, um, uh, is it uh, a fun movie for kids? Yeah, it's about, it a, it's about a clown that goes to perform at a birthday party for an orphanage and then decides to steal the kids. He steals the kids. Says he could provide them... Better than this government-funded building can. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so it had a political message. Yeah. Uh, Sort of uh, the real way to fight orphanages is with good guys. Mm, okay. With guns. The yeah, only with way. Guns. The only way to stop a bad orphanage <laughs> is with a good guy with a with a gun. Did you do any research for this role as a clown? Yeah, yeah. I went. I, I killed a clown. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I went up to the circus. I pointed my pistol at this clown. Okay. And I said, "You teach me everything you know right now, so I can really get into the role." Was this during the circus? Like this is one of the times during the circus. Mm -hmm. So the circus was happening. The circus was happening, and everyone yeah. watched you. Oh yeah, just I way paid, better out. I paid full price. I paid admission oh to get God. into the to get into the circus tent. Oh my God, it's Charles Bronson, everybody! Yeah. He's kidnapping a clown yeah. right now. It's pretty course, wild stuff. People love seeing celebrities. Of course, yeah. The last one I wanted to ask you about was a movie called. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. sure. I wrote that one. You, that was your movie? Yeah. I oh, wow. My agent says, look, Charlie, <laughs> you're really not helping yourself. At this point in your career, I would have been like, listen, all right, I've been, I've been in this business for a while. I understand 
I've been slotted into this. You don't have to keep calling me in here to let me know what my image is. Hey, you, you're preaching to the choir, <laughs> but my agent seems to like telling me what to do. So okay. he said, hey, listen, you keep telling me I want nice guy parts. Right. Can't be this tough guy anymore. So you got to write. This is what you got to do. Actors got to write something they want to be put in if they want to change their career. I said, mm. hey, listen, I get it, but I don't have a typewriter. So I just take out my pistol. <laughs> and I start hitting the I start hitting the keys. You start typing with your pistol. Start, I start shooting the I start shooting the keys with my pistol oh, and the okay. script magically came out wow. 6 months later. Okay. And so what's the what's the story behind Yes Virginia there is a Santa Claus? And what what role did you give yourself? I gave myself the role of Santa Claus. Lovely. And uh this little girl doesn't believe in Christmas. She loses her faith after her parents get killed. <laughs> Oh my God! By a evil, bloodthirsty militia that wants to overthrow the government Jesus. because you know these police officers, these child psychologists—they <laughs> <laughs> keep saying we gotta, you know, hug the criminals. Mm. But no, the only way to fight believing in Christmas <laughs> is with good guys. With a good guy with, with a gun. gun. So I go, I I go to this little girl. I come down a chimney. I point my pistol at her and I say, "You believe Chris? You believe in Christmas now?" And she says, "No." <laughs> wow, the balls on this girl. And then I say, "Do you believe in Jesus?" And she says, "Yes." And I say, "Well, are you gonna meet him?" And then I shoot her. Shoot the little girl. Shoot the little girl. Wow. Didn't get a lot. Didn't get a big release that movie. Yeah. Is that the end of the film, or is that like halfway through? <laughs> Yeah, how many more things happened in this movie after you shot the main little girl? That's the end of the first That's act. <laughs> okay, so there's two more acts left. Two more acts left after that. Mm -mm -mm. We, I'm, I would love to hear about all the various arcs in this movie. Yes, Virginia, there is Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to imagine that that movie did not help, and you just continued doing these bad guy, tough tough characters. Yeah, it looks like I just continued to be a successful working <laughs> actor. That's true. Uh, let's go back to uh, Anne Boleyn for just a moment. So, okay, no. uh, your father, he was a diplomat. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked for Henry VIII, who would, who would soon be your husband. Uh, but when you're a little girl, you uh, uh, there, there's a, a woman named Margaret of Austria. I believe she is royalty. Uh, she, Probably. She is uh, so charmed by your father as he's on one of his diplomatic uh, trips that she offers you a place in her household in the Netherlands. You're about 10 years old at this time. Now, oh, sorry. What was <laughs> no, yeah, that's right. No, you're pretty good at this interview. Uh, I, you know, I do my best. So Jared Berenstein. I am a little uneducated as to this custom of like sending your children to live with other royals and other noble families. So this was like a good thing for you, right? Oh, yeah. You don't recognize it because you usually don't do that. You like to keep your own kids in your own house. In, in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And okay. my dad was like, yeah, get out. <laughs> okay. So was, was this weird for that period of time? Or was everybody just like sending their kids to go live in different royal houses? No, everyone tried to live in their own house. It gotcha. was kind of like today. This even weird yeah. then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. He met this lady abroad and he was like, can I give you my daughter for a while? And she was like, mm, okay. <laughs> I don't see much problems with this. Right. She a nice daughter, and he was like, "Yeah, I give her a seven point five. Seven point five. That's a nice rating that your dad for a ten year old. That's not bad. It's not bad. You didn't have a lot of time to do things to change no, that you score. Don't have, you don't really have a personality. You're like, I can wear a dress. 
All right, so you go to live there, mm-hmm. and, and and we've already established this is a weird thing to have happened. Yeah. Okay. I was like, this isn't my house, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, but you're gonna live here for a while, I bet. <laughs> okay. Uh, so were, were you like uh, weirded out by this? Did you did you find yourself uh, 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 you know folding nicely into the into the fabric of this new household? or Yeah, for sure. I folded mm-hmm. everyone's clothes pretty nicely. Okay. Right. Uh, and, you know, the things that I could really do back then were kind of the same. Like, you could still dance. You could still play various dice games. Okay, that's interesting. That's you know, fun. Have you ever played the dice game? Oh, yeah. Parents, I, yeah, I like craps. I've played a little bit of craps in my day. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I play a game where you roll the dice and you try to get a different number than last time. Okay, that's, that's similar to craps, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got something in common. We sure do. And um, I also invented basketball while I was there. You invented the game of basketball. Yeah, but I'm sure you already knew that, and this is boring to that you. Is, no, I didn't see that anywhere oh, on your Wikipedia. What? For real? So you just had, like, nothing to do but invent games while you were living with Margaret of Austria? Yeah, I was in Austria. There's, like, very little things to do. Okay. You're like, okay, the hills are alive, mm-hmm. and I'm in this <laughs> dang castle. Okay, so now I did read that Margaret was as enchanted with you as she was enchanted with your father. Uh, And she said, quote, of you, she said, quote, so presentable and so pleasant, considering her youthful age, I am more beholden to you for sending her to me than you are to me. Is that right? Yeah, and then at the end she wrote at least an (laughs) 8.5. She corrected your dad's score. Okay, do you... Did you have a strategy for this? Were, were you just being yourself or was there something that you did that you were like, I want to make sure that Margaret of Austria likes me, that I'm making a good impression because this could be really important in my future. Like, what was your attitude there? Oh, OK. Yeah. So first of all, I was like, well, let me soothe her with my sonorous tones. I would uh, <laughs> read her a bedtime story every night. And she was like, "Ooh, that voice of yours, Miss Boleyn, mm-hmm. is like velvet and chocolate. Yeah, the just... two smoothest things. <laughs> it's like. Rubbing silk on a baby's butt. That's how smooth. <laughs> She's like, that's what listening to you is like. Oh, wow. Uh, and again, bringing it back to what I thought was super boring, this basketball thing. Mm-hmm. Her home just covered in what you would call hoops. I'm sorry, what? Covered in hoops? Yeah, like they're, like you'd have a wall, mm-hmm. and then on that wall would be a big hoop. Okay. Apparently a big Austrian thing. Does it have hoops everywhere? Yeah, and I'd be like, what's up with that? And they're like, oh, you're an Austrian now. And we, that we was do it. Hoops. Yeah. We do hoops in it's Austria. It's a big hoop country. Gotcha. And I was like, well, you could probably just, uh, slam dunk into one of those. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I was like, give me a ball of uh, fabric or socks or what have you. A ball of socks. Okay. And uh, then I pretty much Dr. Jade that thing. Just stuffed the rim in Austria. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, my God. They're like, this is a new cool I thing. Really want to try this. At least this seems an like a 8.5, lot of fun. This little girl. <laughs> this number is just getting higher and higher mm-hmm. every day that you stay in Austria. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are 20th century American actor Charles Bronson. Hey. And former 16th century Queen of England Anne Boleyn. Yep, that's me. Uh, the inventor of bowling. Craps and basketball. As uh, so far, as so far, and who knows what else we will come up with. Uh, let's go back to Charles Bronson for just a moment. So you grew up in a small coal town in uh, Pennsylvania. You were uh, eleven of fifteen children. You were the eleventh. Is that right? Yeah, it was pretty crowded in that house. Now I read that your family didn't have a lot of money, 
And once you had to wear one of your sister's dresses to school because you were so poor and you had nothing else to wear. Is that uh, right? It was embarrassing. Uh-huh. It was embarrassing, Jared. It my, does sound rough. Yeah. My, my, I had no clothes and my sister picked up her pistol and she said, you got to wear my dress to school. You've got nothing left. You've got nothing left, you punk. Mm-hmm. And it's I a- said, no, Regina. <laughs> Regina, no, you're my oldest sister. I love you. I love you so much. And she said, wear this dress. Now wear these pigtails, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is unnecessary. But, you know, you got to go through you got to go through hardships when you're a kid. They make you mm-hmm. the man that you are today. Now, so I'm imagining, because it sounded like when I read the Wikipedia that the reason you had to wear this dress was there, like, Every other piece of clothing was like dirty or had holes in it. And so this is literally the only thing you could wear. But it sounds more like you had like one sister who was just being super mean to you and forced you to wear a dress in school. I had a three piece suit that I could wear every day. Oh, you had clothes. I had one I had one three piece suit that was clean that hadn't been ravaged by moths. Mm-hmm. But then uh, my sister made me wear her old dress instead. Instead wow. of instead of and she said, you can't wear that. You'll look like a nerd. <laughs> and she's right. And she was right. So she I thank right. her every day. And now, sometimes I still wear that dress just to remember her. Now, I couldn't help but notice that she had a pistol that she was using to threaten you. Oh, well, everybody uh, has pistols. Everybody had pistols? Everybody has pistols. Every every one of the 15 uh, uh, children in the Bronson family... <laughs> Had pistols. Everybody I currently know now has a pistol. Has a pistol, okay. And has always had pistols. Okay. Jared, where's your pistol? Uh, You don't have a pistol? I don't have a pistol. Jared Berenstein is is a great name, but I suggest changing it to something tougher. To something tougher than Berenstein. Yeah. Okay. What about Jerry Bricks? Jerry Bricks. I like Jerry Bricks. That's good. I think Jerry Bricks is good. I Bricks can, is tough. I can call my agent. He can put you in a couple of movies right away with the name Jerry Bricks. Hey, I can see it. Check it out. I'm I'm making it in show business today, guys. Jerry Bricks is Jerry Bricks is the rough and tumble. <laughs> Jerry Bricks is the mime. The mime. I like that. This is, this is so we can soften up my yeah, image. This is, yeah. I'm giving you some duality. Because yeah. I'm just getting so tough now with the, my name and all these all these crazy parts I'm getting. The mime has a mission and he has a code of silence. Ooh. Ooh, but his pistol chilled. doesn't. His pistol makes more noise than he does. Unless it's silenced, in which case it does. His, pis- his pistol can't move through the wind like he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor lift up heavy, uh, invisible heavy objects. So... Your family, very poor, Charles Bronson. Uh, so poor. When you were 10 years old, and tell me if this is not true, because this is unbelievable what I read on the Wikipedia. Your father passes away when you're 10 years old, so you had to go work at the coal mine to help support the family. Is it's that very, right? Yeah, it's at very 10 true. 10 years old. Like they, they they almost didn't let me do it. The coal mine uh, foreman mm-hmm. looked at me in my little sweet 10-year-old eyes. Mm-hmm. And he said I'm he imagining can't. you're wearing regular boy clothes again at this point. I'm right? wearing a three-piece suit now. Okay, good, I'm wearing a three-piece suit now. Looking like a nerd. Looking like, <laughs> I, hey, you gotta dress for the job you want. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to be a nerdy coal miner. Uh, just the nerdiest coal miner. And then Classic. I, he said, you can't you can't work. You're too young, kid. And I took my pistol and I said, you make me work in this coal mine right now. And let me tell you, <laughs> You let me work right now, I'll get real good at splitting logs in 30 years. Mm. And now, that's true. Wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm so surprised, first of all, that you were allowed to work at that young. 
Um, but also, well, it was back then. Yeah, of there's course. no rules back then. All of this is about back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you were, uh, as I said before, 11 of 15 children. That means that there were 10 other children who were older than you. Yeah. Who could have gotten jobs. Oh, they all had successful careers. Everybody had a career. But they moved after college. (laughs) You just don't hear from them after a while. They weren't helping the family. They weren't helping the family, no. See, that is a shame. And you're the only one that had that connection to the family where you were like... Well, once I left, then, you know, the other... Uh, Then the other three that were left... had had to fend for themselves. But, you know, there was a... You know... It's a lot. It's a big age gap in fifteen kids. That's true. Yeah, the oldest versus the youngest. That's Never like, even met my oldest brother. That's a generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back over to Anne Boleyn for just a moment. So after the Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, when you were li- living with uh, Margaret, you were then sent to France to live uh, with Queen Mary and Mary's fifteen-year-old stepdaughter, Queen Claude. Uh, and while you were there, uh, this is this is uh, accurate, correct? Like, yeah, so you- that's where I developed my accent. Uh- <laughs> Because I'm it from is England, but this is a beautiful English French, beautiful French accent that you have. Uh, you're living in Austria. You then instead of getting you go home, you get to, you you live with another royal family in a different country, right? Yeah. Well, I went back to my house first, and then my dad was like, "Nope, nope, nope, ski battle." He said, "Get out of here, you." <laughs> Thought I was done with this as like a C plus your, girl. Your dad didn't want, even though everybody in Austria was singing your praises, talking about how charming and great you were. Mm-hmm. And he was like, was "Fine, like- world tour it. <laughs> Take more okay. time." All right, so you go there, mm-hmm. and I read this on the Wikipedia, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, do. According to the Wikipedia, while you're in France working as the maid of honor to Queen Mary and Queen Claude, mm-hmm. uh, you quote came to gain experience in flirtation and the game of courtly love. Oh, no, no, no. I was there to teach it. You were there. You were teaching Yeah, I was doing a, You know how they have, like, master class? Okay. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, like, like you can pay to watch, like, YouTube videos and of you Steve learn. Martin. Or Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That was kind of like they were like, oh, we got to learn how to do some pretty good winking and flirting. So they called up me. So wait, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, for was, sure. was this just the royal family that was thinking this or was this like all of France was going through like a flirtation drought? Yeah, well, I'm trying to start a small business here, Jared. Oh, so okay. you have to start small, which is the royal family. Gotcha, gotcha. And then you get like all of their connects. Mm-hmm. The networking opportunities are huge. It sounds like a very good place to start mm-hmm. if you're looking for to build your audience quickly. So I walk into the room. People are automatically like, wow. Thank goodness and God she's my teacher. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, listen to, again, that sweet, sensual noise that leaves her mouth. Just that that voice that is just like, you know, pouring pouring milk into a, into a cloth sack. Yep, that free milk into that <laughs> expensive cloth sack. You have pretty good taste, wow. Mr. Berenstein. Did you learn, would you, would you say that you were like a, a flirting savant, a courtly love savant? It always sounds like I'm saying Courtney Love, but a, a love in the court, in the noble For courts. For sure, I do love whole. Uh, <laughs> Everybody loves whole. Whole's great. <laughs> we're just a couple of friends talking about whole. Welcome talking to whole cast. Every, guys, we, I gotta have you back on my other podcast yes. where we talk about whole and how great whole is. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved Courtney Love in that movie where she played Andy Kaufman's girlfriend. Yeah, Man on the Moon. Oh, that's right. Great one. Uh, so would you say that you were like a savant in flirtation or was this something that you learned maybe when you were in, uh, uh, you know, Austria, in the Netherlands? Yeah, for sure. I feel like it, uh, 
it definitely was something that I was born with. Mm -hmm. Obviously take a look. It's in a book, you know, but, uh, (laughs) I didn't realize that it was like not something everyone else had. I was like, oh, you know, you wake up and everyone goes, oh, it's the most beautiful, best sounding girl in the world. And Mm -hmm. I figured that was how everyone started their day. Okay. Learning that that is not the case. Hmm. All right. So I was like, well, how do I transfer this knowledge onto the common people? Hmm. Well, I now I think of them as common people. But at the time I was like working for the royals. Yes, of course. Uh, Never seen a diamond in the flesh. So you go to France and you're like, Queen Mary, Queen Claude, I am going to show you how to get it done. All right. Uh, I'll just go through a few quick things that I would teach him. I'd be like, okay, you got to do the once over look. The once over look. That's when you look down, Mm -hmm. you look up, and then with your lips, you mouth the words, come hither. Ooh, come hither. And they're like, okay, well, I got to come over there hither. (laughs) Wait, so when you say you look down, you look up, is that sort of like I'm checking out the body of the person? What is the merchandise? How much does this milk going to cost me? So part of flirting. I'm never letting this go. Part of flirting flirting is is letting the other person know, like, I am... I am checking this out. Yeah. I am looking and I am not being subtle about it. I am looking over this car that I'm going <laughs> to ride, you know. Gotcha. Uh, then the next one, you know how when you're at a restaurant and the best way to get the waiter's attention is to snap and clap at them? Oh, I don't agree with that. It's perfectly the same way with flirting. You look at the uh, nice uh, hunk of meat, as you've referred to the human. Mm-hmm. And you go, yes, yes, uh, yes. click, click, clap, clap, mm-hmm. hey. And then with your lips again, you mouth the words, come oh, hither. Come hither. Yeah, it's just so sexy to imagine a person's lips mouthing the words, come hither, you know? Especially at that time, I think it was easier because that was like a more regular phrase. But mm. if you were to see that now, you'd be like, wait, what? Can you do that one more time? Like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> words. I mean, these Am are all I in trouble. These are all great tips. And, uh, and anybody giving, giving and, them out for free. Yeah, anybody listening like this is this is, uh, uh, you know. We we have we have noted success. The statistics are in. Mm-hmm. These work. You got to make this Patreon content because yeah. <laughs> you could really get a pretty penny. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably put this on the Patreon later. Unfortunately, we got to take a short break, uh, but we will be right back with Anne Boleyn and Charles Bronson on Famous Dead People. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars. Leave a comment. Tell your friends. All that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeople at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us. Whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also, check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out JarrettBarrenson.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to RadioForBrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I am your host, Jared Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are 20th century American actor 
known for such works as the Death Wish series, The Magnificent Seven, and The Great Escape, Charles Bronson. Hi, how are you? And former 16th century Queen of England, key figure in the start of the English Reformation, Anne Boleyn. Hi, how are you? Uh, so going back to uh, Charles Bronson for just a moment. Uh, so well, mind, if I, uh, mind if I just unbutton my shirt? I just want to, I feel like putting on a turtleneck right now. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if you need as many costume changes as you need to happen while you're hanging out with us, Charles Bronson, you just go ahead and do those. But all describe right. them all first. But, oh, definitely, definitely describe them. This is. A, well, this I'm is just, but I'm just unbuttoning the, you know, my cufflinks right now, just so <laughs> I can get like, you know, roll up my, because I like to roll up my sleeves before I take off my button down. <laughs> and, it's a very important part. It yeah. tells the the the, uh, the button down that you mean business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going back to your pre uh, acting life, in 1943, you enlisted in the Air Force. Mm. You were an aerial gunner during World War Two. Tough times. Tough times. That's Tough right. Tough times. Tough All times. Right. I remember. I remember the first time stepping into that cockpit, mm-hmm. and my my I didn't know what to do with the, my equipment, so I just pointed my pistol at my at my cockpit, okay. and I said, "You work for me now." Wait, I'm sorry. You you were pointing it at like the the airplane machinery, yeah, or like the humans, you know, all the buttons were... and doodads, and <laughs> so all the knobs and all the switches. Threaten the plane to fly. Basically, there's, o- there's only one way. That, there's only one way to learn how to be a pilot. With guns. That's right. It's like good guys. Good guys with the guns. Good the only, guys fly planes. The only thing that makes a plane go is a mm-hmm. good guy with a gun. Uh, so after you flew, you flew 25 missions during World War II. Uh, afterwards, you take have, have a bunch of uh, uh, hard jobs. And I'm thinking about the, the work you did you know, during the war, mm-hmm. plus the fact that you were a coal miner as a child. It seems like you had some like real serious grit. Like It seems like you were... Tough as some of the characters that you were playing. Oh, yeah, so then just, you, I've had the hardest jobs people can imagine. Of course, I've had the, I've had a tough life. This generation doesn't get hard work, you know. Oh, I think we have our own version of hard work. No, you know? no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what it, you don't know what it's like to make a single bullet. To, I'm sorry to, to make a single bullet. To make a single bullet from scratch mm-hmm. every morning. You, the Bronson family, you guys made your own bullets. Oh yeah, you know we smelted. You had you had no money. Tin knocking. How are you gonna buy bullets? You gotta make your well, own bullets. Well, that's where all their money went. Was to buy everyone a pistol <laughs> and made sure and that one we all three piece have... suit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it seems like the family made enough money. You just didn't spend it correctly. Yeah, well, you know, different times. Different times. Different times. Indeed. So, but what what I found interesting was you have all this like tough guy. You have this tough guy life, and then you find yourself in a theater group in Philadelphia. And I'm wondering, the Wikipedia doesn't say how you transitioned from former coal miner, former Air Force gunner to actor. Like how it doesn't even seem like the sort of thing that you would ever be introduced to in the in the circle that you would run in. Well, it's funny you mentioned I was bricklaying and uh, you know building this building this theater for a small community center, mm. and I said I could do that. And then I took my pistol and I went up to the casting director and the artistic director of the theater. And I said, you put me on stage right now, you bum, Mm -hmm. you crook. And they were like, they were like, sure. They were imagining. They said, no, please don't shoot me. Please. Charles Bronson, had you ever in your life experienced such unrepentant cowardice? After pointing, because you point your pistols at a lot of people. It's so the far easiest in your job life. I got. It's yeah. the easiest job I ever landed. Have you? Have, were you surprised by how just like how how, how uh, this puddle 
that that this human being became just because you pointed a, a pistol at them? Hollywood was no match for Branson. <laughs> I see. They probably had a really weak name. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah the, no Jerry Bricks, no Charles no Bronson. Jerry, no Jerry Bricks, no Charles Bronson. Do you remember the name of this actor who you threatened and then forced to put, put on stage? Joey LaChapelle. <laughs> Joey LaChapelle. That's the weakest collection of syllables <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> This guy, uh, he couldn't even, he, he turned to mud in front of me. That guy sounds like he's got jelly for bones. He's a literal pudding pants pudding, over here. Pudding pants, Joey LaChapelle. He's a real pudding pants, get that it, Joey. Get it together, man. I bet you didn't even have to have to show him your pistol. You probably could have just looked at him, looked at him hard, and he would have gone, No, please, please, don't look at me like that. You know, I think about, I think about the way he cried every night before I go to sleep. You're still, yeah, still to still, this day, right before I tuck my pistol underneath my <laughs> pillow. I when you put it, your pistol to bed, of course. I, well, I sleep with my pistol. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have to put the pistol to bed also. No, well, yeah. I have sex with the pistol. Yes, of course, and that'll that'll put a pistol to bed. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. night. Hey. <laughs> now it's throwing some zingers. <laughs> I like this. Oh, man. So you say you think about the way this guy cries every night before you go to bed. Like, is it like a happy memory, or is it like, does it haunt you that this man was such such a puddle of mush Oh, when you were through with him. It's motivating. It, uh, it makes you, because, you know, I want to, you know, I still want to play nice guys. So then I think, what would nice guys do? Mm. That's when I go back to that memory and I was like, oh, yeah, nice guys turn into puddles of piss. They turn into mush. They turn okay. into mush. The classic yeah. La Chapelle move <laughs> over there. <laughs> uh, let's go back to Anne Boleyn for just a moment. So everybody agrees that you had a powerful charm, you were extremely charismatic, mm -hmm. but there is some conjecture as to what you looked like. I mean, we're looking at a very beautiful uh, woman here in the studio today. Thank you kindly. Uh, but it, there were, like, the, it seemed like the jury was kind of out while you were alive. Some people said you were beautiful, other people said you were just okay, and then there was one Catholic propagandist named Nicholas Sanders. Oh, we can trust those guys. So, well, we, it, it's it was noted in the Wikipedia that this is probably untrue uh, okay. because it was he's a propaganda Catholic propagandist. <laughs> he described you as sallow complexion, a projecting tooth under your lip, uh, a large cyst under your chin, and six fingers on your right hand. Now, obviously, I don't see any of these features as you're sitting here now, but I, I feel like I have to at least ask. Anne Boleyn, did you ha ever at, at have any of these features, these ridiculous features, an extra finger, a projecting tooth, a cyst on your neck? Obviously, I mean, you could just tell us that this is all just propaganda. Well, you know? I mean, like, if your business card says Catholic propagandist, mm -hmm. you'd think probably not the coolest of guys. Probably not Maybe reliable. got some sort of a weird, shitty agenda. Probably. Maybe, I don't want to say it on the radio, but probably an incel, Ooh. you know? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, in the 1500s, that was the that 1500s. guy. <laughs> yeah, there's only one way to take care of these incels. Yeah. With good guys. With, with a gun. Good guys with a gun. The only way to stop an incel is with a good guy mm -hmm. who's not an incel. No, 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 right. no. As the saying goes. Someone who teaches him how to do uh, some good flirting. Oh, okay. You know, really could have turned that dude around. You know what? I think the world needs an Anne Boleyn right now to take all these incels and just be like, like here... Is what you do. Buddy, you know? mouth of the words come hither. Come hither, and that's just, it's just step one right there, you know? And then all your problems will disappear. They just, they'll just float Oof. away. All right, so obviously 
no extra finger, no projecting Oh, no, tube. I had an extra finger. Oh, you had oh did finger. I not mention that? Oh, no. Well, well, that's why I'm so good at hoops, Jarrett. <laughs> an extra finger to with which to palm the basketball? Yeah, I got a, like a big, like an octopus oh, on the top of the ball. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm just doing swishes. Wow. Going, well, not at the time, but now I would be like Kobe, you know. <laughs> of course. At the time, I said bowling. Bowling, uh, my name. Which then happened is one time I tried to underhand mm-hmm. it and it knocked over a nine pyramid of pins oh, wow. that were laid up in, in France. That's a thing. Austria's got hoops. Mm-hmm. France is just covered in pins. Every royal family of the different countries yeah. had different things that they would just have around. Yeah. And they're like, I was like, what's up with these pins? And they're like, you're in France now, girl. There's Can't you pins. hear this accent? There's pins everywhere in France. So I tried to underhand it. I knocked them all over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, strike. <laughs> Bolin, you've done it again. Everyone's like, oh, my God, that looks like so much fun. Yeah. I can't wait to try it also. That's why I'm famous, right? Because of all these inventions. Can I ask you this? Oh, for sure. So you first invent craps. Yes. You then invent basketball. Yeah, that one for sure. Then you invent bowling. Mm-hmm. But you don't name your first two game inventions after yourself. It's bowling that you finally decide, you know what, I'm going to put my name Bolin yeah. on this activity. Well, that's really the pinnacle of sports. Okay. Pinnacle. There you go. <laughs> Oh. Bronson's on the ball Bronson, with that one. Bronson with the layup. Uh, and a swoosh. Mm-hmm. Kobe. See, okay, because craps, you, you play that, and it's uh, that's crap. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm just rolling some damn dice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, oh, the numbers are different? Wee. <laughs> uh, basketball, that one's a pretty easy one. There's baskets and there's balls. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that one earned a name. Okay. You know, you don't christen the easiest game in the world. Yeah, it's Bowling, basket and ball. That's it. Yeah. Which... Uh, Again, really the height of athletic ability required to do. Definitely. Always uh, the most in-shape people are the bowlers. Everyone's got a, a, a full binder full of bowling trading cards. Mm, uh, yes. you, you know a bunch of bowlers. You've got your favorites, obviously, your hometown advantage. You know, I had a uh, I had a Schuster rookie card back in the day. I got rid of it by accident. Oh, well, there oh, it goes. $100,000. <laughs> Probably worth just yeah. flush that down Upwards. the toilet. Yeah, I just I can't believe I got rid of that. I just feel like I feel so dumb. You're taking a building a bowling ball is no easy feat. Building a bowling ball. Yeah, is taking a- taking a big block of marble and mm-hmm. chiseling it down till it's a smooth round ball. Yeah, and then drilling three holes in where your fingers go. Yeah, that makes a-, a man go insane. <laughs> To make a bowling ball. But you don't need a drill if you've got, like everyone else here, a pistol. Mm-hmm. And That's just right. steady you aim. Shoot you, shoot the, you shoot the block of marble until it's smooth and round. That's an excellent. From one square block. Excellent point, Anne Boleyn, that you just shoot, shoot the holes into the... Uh, into mm-hmm. the uh, gotta ask, guys, what are, we, what are we bowling with here? What kind of weight? You know, like I... I like to, uh, I like to, you know, like oh, a 13, 13 pounder. Oh, you like to go. show off then. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you put the bumpers down too, I bet. I don't put the bumpers down. Okay. Emily. Come on. You know, <laughs> but 13, 14 pounds, I think is pretty good for like my body size. Like what were you guys, what were you guys throwing down the lanes? Uh, well, first it was like, a, it was like just socks. Yes. That were course. in the ball. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is that point nothing? Uh, <laughs> But I've worked my way up to a pretty solid four, uh, which you four? can't find in most regulation bowling alleys. They're no. like, that is like, what is that? Two like th- regular things of peanut butter that you're rolling. <laughs> 
you freak. And I'm like, give me the four, baby. Mm-hmm. You got to yeah. ask nicely. You usually have to make those uh, yourself at mm-hmm. home. Uh, what about you, Charles Bronson? What are you rolling with these days? When I go bowling, I just take my pistol <laughs> and I just shoot at the pins. Really until they all go, Until I go, until they all go down. And then I say, strike. You know, it was a strike every time. And then they keep, but they keep asking me to wear their shoes. And I say, no, I only wear my own shoes. Hmm, They're okay. nice shoes. Yeah, Charles Bronson plays by his own rules. By the way, do you mind if I hide these shoes in your studio? So you want to hide the shoes? I'm just going to, I'm going to go out with my socks later. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here in my turtleneck and my wool knit cap and I'm fastening a small two inch steel cylinder under this 57 Luger. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going out for a little bit, and I'd like to hide my shoes here, if that's okay. okay. Yeah, go ahead and hide Are the shoes. shoes in trouble or something? <laughs> oh, they're going to be. They have, uh, they've, they've been talking too much, and they've got to go into timeout. Uh, uh, loose if, lips. If, you are, uh, if you're just joining you know us, that. this is uh, Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are former 16th century Queen of England, Anne Boleyn. I invented bowling. And 20th century American actor Charles Bronson. You're dead. So, in 1950, Charles Bronson, you moved to Hollywood and started getting small roles. I'd like to ask you about some of your early work, your first film role, your cast as a sailor in the movie. You're in the Navy now. And you're in the Navy now. Mm-hmm. That's right. Feels like kind of a lighthearted film, right? Yeah, to sing and dance. Ooh, it was a musical. With a gun. Oh, you had a gun with you. Well, there wasn't any choice about it. They just, I just showed up with one, and I didn't. I didn't put it down when they asked me to, so I just danced through the whole thing with the gun in my hand. Wow. I think, yeah, if you if you somehow can get your hands on a copy of the movie, You're in the Navy Now, you will you can see Charles Bronson see. dancing with his pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of seems like at some point in your career, they just sort of had to write the pistol into these roles for you because they knew you were always going to have it. Well, they knew I was relentless. Yes. They knew I wasn't going to, you know, kowtow to any of these... You know, Hollywood types. Hollywood, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood bowls, bowls of jelly. Hollywood, Hollywood bowls of jelly. Mm-hmm. Hollywood pudding pants. <laughs> Just a town full of La Chapelles. Just yeah. oh, La Chapelles from, from La Chapelles the Sea. As far as the eye can see. When you say it, it like hurts your throat. Mm-hmm. It's like the weakest oh. word. Yeah, it just feels like you're 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 barfing up a, a twink from Williamsburg. It it scratches <laughs> it scratches the esophagus. Yeah, you got so, it in one, Jared. That's exactly what I was thinking. So uh so your first big splash though of a film, you played a murderous Native American warrior named Captain Jack. Yeah. Uh, this is someone who was who is based on a historical figure who who wore the tunics of the soldiers he killed. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about this character because I haven't seen this movie. So this this is a guy who every time he killed another soldier, he would put on that soldier's tunic, right? Well, you know, I had uh, I was lucky to land this role, Jarrett. Jerry. Can I call you Jerry Bricks? Oh, yeah, because we're going by Jerry Bricks now. Yes, of course. Well, it's funny, Jerry. You know, when I I landed this role, I was pretty lucky because I had already started to do that in my private life. Kill my enemies and then wear their uniforms. Wear their uniforms? As as my trophies. Yeah. Something you do when you you work at the factories. That's what is taught to you after a certain point. Okay. Life in the factory is tough. If somebody dies and you get their job... You have to take their clothes. You take their clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, do you just pile on more and more clothes? Like yeah, more I just people wear, that you kill? I, I wear, I wear, I'm wearing six jackets. 
Okay. Wearing six jackets at a time in this in this point in my life because I've killed six people, so okay. I wear all their clothes. Mm-hmm. Seems difficult to wear that many layers of clothing all the time. It's a, t- it's a hard life. Gotcha. Probably worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, Evelyn. I mean, if things were easy, the day would be over at eleven o'clock in the morning. Oh, I love that expression. It's so true. You know. Uh, so let's see here. You also. Uh, uh, did a detective series called The Man with a Camera, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a former uh, combat photographer who was freelancing in New York City. So this is, it was a detective series, right? It was, and spoiler alert, that camera was also it was a gun. Probably a gun. Yeah, I should have seen that one coming. Every time it was a real it was a real neat hook for mm-hmm. the show. Every time the detective had a hunch of who the killer was, he'd ask to get their photograph mm-hmm. and say, Hey, can you, you know, Oh, go over there, and then he'd click the shutter. The gun would fire. Bing. Boom. You're dead. Suddenly, no more murderer anymore. The case never gets solved. <laughs> but a lot of people died. That's funny. I was going to say case closed. A lot of say, free jackets. <laughs> it's a good way to shop. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just get so many. You you would then try to, I guess, kill people who were about your same size then, right? Yeah, you'd have to ask. If and when you, you ask, to- they're like, oh, you're a serial killer, yeah. probably. Because no, most people don't like to answer what, what jacket size you wear, yeah. just from randomly. Just from random. Oh, also, and then I got to take a guess. And I'm like, oh, the shoulders are too big in this one. I got to take uh, this in. Or especially if you need like a new pair of pants, you got to go to people and be like, I got one question for you, punk. Are you like What's a, your waist size? Are you like a 30-30? What are we... Or do you like to wear? Or do you like to wear a thirty twenty nine and let the leg go short? <laughs> Is that like a weirdo? Like, I don't want to. I don't have to go to the tailor uh, again. You know, I'll just kill somebody else instead. My tailor's suspicious. I keep getting my pants hemmed. I wanted to ask you also. So you said the 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 chief of police would ask you to go get a picture of this murderer. Was this a regular thing that the cops wouldn't like? Yeah, the they, chief of police was. It was also tied to the local newspaper, so we always <laughs> had to have pictures. I see. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, let's go back to Anne Boleyn for just a moment. So okay. you returned to England after uh, after Austria, after France. You returned to England in 1522. You're in your early 20s now. Yeah. And uh, my big flirt tour. Your your big flirt tour. Flirt tour 1515. I'm like the Justin Bieber of uh, <laughs> Europe at the time. So you are originally slated to marry, and you're one of your one of your cousins. Uh, he's an Irish man named James Butler, the ninth Earl of Ormond. Uh, but the plans are broken off. Uh, now, the Wikipedia was a little vague about this. I think there might be some historical uh, conjecture as to why this marriage was sort of like put on hold, why the why the plans were sidelined. Do you remember what was wrong with your plan to marry uh, your Irish cousin, James Butler. Well, yeah, I heard, I was like, okay, I'm going to marry my cousin, whatever. It's like 15, who cares, right? <laughs> but then yeah. I was like, what's his last name again? And they're like, Butler. And I'm like, oh, that won't do. What was wrong That's, with the name Butler? Well, it's like the first half is but. I don't know if I need to break it down for you syllabically. Okay, so you had a problem. Because then you're like, oh, you know, kids can be so cruel, even if you're in your early 20s. Mm. They're like, hey, what's up, Mrs. Butt? And you thought that people were going to make fun of you if your last name was Butt. Forever. Butler. That's at least the biggest one I can think of. That was the that was your big deal breaker for James Butler, was that his last name was Butt. Yeah, Blur. totally fine with the cousin thing. Oh, of but course. That was normal back then. You're like, whatever. It was a normal First thing cousins, zero with cousins. Mm-hmm. That's almost as bad as an actor I knew named Tommy Ass. Tommy Ass. Oh, man. How did his career go? Ass up. <laughs> that one tickled me. That uh, was a pretty good so, one. That was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Snap. After your uh, engagement to James Butler. A real pudding pants, falls that ass. Ap- falls apart. I like that. Uh, the next, the very next year, you are you become secretly betrothed mm-hmm. to a man named Henry Percy, uh, the son of the fifth Earl of Northumberland. These places sound so made up. They probably uh, were. <laughs> so, uh, Henry, uh, you're secretly betrothed to him. That engagement was broken off as well. Becomes the groom's father. Uh, refused to support the engagement. He did not want his son to be marrying Anne Boleyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you did you ever get a reason why? His father objected to your union, you know? For sure. He was like, did you know that girl's last name is Is Bolin? Okay. Which is like the stupid game they play in France. Oh, my God. And he was like, no, it's cool, Dad. Come on, dude. Be chill So this game has spread now. Everybody knows about bowling. Oh, for sure. They did not pick up on basketball, I guess, for a while. It took a little while to get to find an audience, I heard. Yeah. Uh, but the bowling really took off, you know, just bowling, bowling, bowling. It really seemed like a lot of these marriages really hinged on the last name of the person who you were trying to marry. Right. right? Because that time I was like, now you've got to take mine. And <laughs> and they were like, no, no, no. That's very progressive of you, Anne Boleyn. I really changed a lot <laughs> about the world. You're really throwing elbows in your life. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess the, the, the father was like, uh, my son's not going to marry somebody named Bolin and then also take her name so that he would be Henry Bolin. Yeah, he's like, what am I going to do? And where is he from? Northumberland? Northumberland, yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm not going to let any 16th Earl of Northumberland be mm-hmm. a freaking uh, Bolin boy. Be a Bolin the boy. The other Bolin boy. I'm not going to have it happen. Mm, I see. And so we're obviously this is a secret engagement. So this is something that you, uh, I'm imagining we're passionate about. I mean, otherwise, why continue in secret? Why not? You know, like, let this be a public celebration, you know? Right. I was like, don't listen to your dad, dude. You're thick as hell. I want to totally mac up on that. And he was like, let's do it. Let's get married. Oh, this guy so, was hot sauce. Yeah, he was uh, a yeah. real spicy little, uh, what's a Taco Bell, the Diablo sauce? Okay, yeah, yeah. No Ooh, muy picante. <laughs> I'll take a little and, uh, piece of this, please. Uh, and we were like, okay, let's get, you know, married by moonlight or what Ooh, have you. And nice. back then, you didn't actually need, like, a priest or you didn't need, like, uh, anybody. You just needed a guy. To be there. Hmm, okay. And we'd be like, hey, we're married now. And he's like, okay, I saw it. <laughs> I'm the witness. So we did that, mm-hmm. obviously, pretty secret except for the guy. Mm-hmm. And then that guy was like, wait, I'm going to tell your dad about this bowling oh, girl. And no. he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, totally botched the whole operation ruined there. the whole secret. That sucks. But, I mean, obviously, it, it opened the door for you to marry oh, Henry yeah. VIII. Then which... I was like, well, screw Northumberland mm-hmm. or even Southumberland. I'm going to take the whole Umberland, please. Yeah, let's do that. Eastumberland, I heard, is flooded. It's, it's, is it? It's under? What? Is it? Yeah. Is yeah, East East Thumberland is uh, underwater. We are. Uh, I'm sorry. What? I, <laughs> that's what, what is, I heard. I what about don't shoot gonna, the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. No, I'm going to take out my pistol and <laughs> I'm going to point it at the messenger. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's all calm down. Let's all put a person's all right, down. Okay, I'm, well, putting it, I'm putting my pistol back in my beautiful gotta, red damask dress. Okay, we have right. a real Mexican standoff. I'm going to put here. my pistol back in my messenger bag. Mm-hmm, wonderful. Which is also. Containing a three-piece suit. Oh, one, just in case. You never know. Would you mind changing into that right now, please? We, yes, if you, if you have time. Uh, we, we're quickly running out of time here on Famous Dead People. So I wanted oh, to ask please. you, Charles Bronson, about your most famous role. 
When you're 52 years old, you get cast in the movie Death Wish, mm. playing a man named Paul Kersey, a successful architect who turns into a crime-fighting vigilante after his wife is murdered and his daughter is raped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you go on a, on a killing spree. You kill everybody who is responsible. This movie spawned four sequels, and I was hoping that we could talk about these. Uh, so Death Wish 2... Your daughter, who survived the first movie, she gets murdered, and then so you have to go back into being a murdering vigilante, right? Yeah, it's the same as the first, except there's more stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. What do you mean there's more stuff that happens? Oh, you know, there's killing, you know, the first movie The first movie has, you know, my character, he really struggles. And then by the second movie, I'm hurling a flaming arrow into a helicopter. Okay. Suddenly I get superpowers. And you know what? I think that's the that's the only way to take down these crooks. Is with Dude. good guys. Good guys. <laughs> flaming arrows. <laughs> flaming arrows. Now I didn't see a lot about Death Wish 3 on the Wikipedia. I just know that you you, you fight punk gangs in Death Wish 3. Is that right? Yeah, they're all punks. Did they're you have any anybody these kids? They're all punks. Was there an inciting incident? Because the other ones it's like someone close to you got murdered. But, like, what incited this war between you and the punk gangs in Death Wish 3? Well, you know, it's like, uh, everywhere I go, people just want to start things with me. Maybe it's because I carry a gun around. Mm, Maybe okay. they think they can take me, but so they can't. Is it more of like a, more of like a gunslinger, like, you know, take them, take them the top dog one? I would say the first two movies, I'm a victim, but then the three other movies, I'm definitely the perpetrator. Okay. I yeah. attack... Lots of minority groups. Oh, fun. Un, un, yeah, that's real. That's the thing. Unprovoked. Oh, okay. So Death Wish 4, what was uh, what was going on there? Who, uh, who are you? Uh, Death Wish 4, I believe, is called Make America Great Again. <laughs> and that's where a, that comes from. Yeah. Death, Death Wish 4, Make America Great Again. Okay. And uh, I heard... Uh, and it's pretty good. I mostly drive uh, silently the whole movie. Ooh, and then uh, I, I think like I have that. one line in the whole thing. That was my stipulation. Are gotcha. you wearing like a scorpion jacket? <laughs> I'm wearing I'm wearing a scorpion jacket and that scorpion's holding a pistol. Man, this movie is it's such a hodgepodge of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lastly, of course, Death Wish 5, the last movie in the series. You're 73 years old yeah. at this Still point. Still playing 45. Still, okay, so not a lot of time has passed yeah. in this guy Paul's life. The character Paul Kersey doesn't age, just like Branson. Mm, okay, and so what, what happened in, uh, in 5? All right, we, we know that uh, in 3 you're taking on punk gangs. In 4, I have to imagine that that's... Uh, uh, Hispanics, just based on the title. Well, five, I believe, is called uh, the Russian tapes, <laughs> and that's when I'm trying. That's when I have to protect the president mm. from his from from his his secret sex tapes being <laughs> leaked to the media, mm. and I have to take down the press, another gang. <laughs> okay, <laughs> from. From being too too hard on him. We got to give these guys more time. Gotcha. Okay, I see. I, I think this is an interesting arc for this series to take, and the, I think definitely worth checking out. The funny yeah. thing is, that's the same arc as Airbud 1 through 5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember the trailer for Airbud where they're like, there's no rule that says a dog can't play basketball, and also, and also, and also this dog's wife dead. was killed. <laughs> His daughter was raped. There's no rules that say a dog can't play basketball, but that dog has a gun. That's right. And then second one, of course, 
golden receiver golden where he's receiver. playing football right. now mm-hmm. and his daughter who had been raped was now murdered murdered that's right and we was like this this dog oh man mm. unfortunately that is all the time that we have for this week's uh mm. episode of famous dead people i'd like to thank my guest charles bronson and anne boleyn for joining me in the studio today let's all go get ice cream yeah let's agreed ice cream after. <laughs> that'd be fun uh last question for you both i know it's a little weird but i like to end every show by asking my guests if they have any uh, comedy shows or Twitter accounts or anything that they're really big fans of that they want to tell people about. Uh, Charles Bronson, anything you want to tell people about? Well, yeah, you know, my little ears just tickled at this uh, podcast called Sexy Spooky Teens, hosted by uh, David Bloodband, John Trowbridge, and Stephanie Pace. They talk about real spooky movies. Ooh, it's a good, it's uh, a good cast right there. Seems pretty, seems pretty. St- Scary stuff. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you go check out the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime? I heard it's seems a good like show. It's no guns, but it's a good show. A good show, nonetheless. And uh, Anne Boleyn, anything you want to tell people about? No guns yet. All right. Uh, uh, if you're into uh, New York comedy, like I'm sure you are, mm-hmm. uh, you want probably want to follow around Dominic Russo. He's on uh, an armory sketch team, uh, which has not been named yet, but used to be called Parachute Pants. Uh, and then he is on a indie improv team called Weirdos, which is doing the rounds. Wow. Also, you can follow him on Instagram at DFR247. It's private, but he'll probably accept you. <laughs> check out all those things. Uh, you can also check out all my stuff at JarrettBernstein.com. I'm going to be putting a bunch of tour dates up there for April, so come check that out. Buy my book, The Killing Conway Technique. It is out now, and it's hilarious. If you're listening to this on the radio, find the podcast. All the old episodes are on the podcast. Uh, you can also hit us up at Famous Dead People at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good guys. Famous Dead People. With guns. Uh, hello there. This is me. I'm Anne Bolin. <laughs> Anne Bolin. <laughs> doing a little talking and doing a little walking. That's right, baby. You'll love to hear it. This is my this is my voice in this le- in this register. Mm-hmm. This is my voice in this register. Okay, <laughs> those would be pretty good. So this let is me- my voice when it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. This is my voice when I'm asking a question. Uh, here it comes: the slew of words <laughs> that will lead to what will eventually be a pretty good sound check. I love this accent work. You have a you have expensive taste, Inspector. <laughs>